0: I'm Quinn Murphy, and this is In My Chair. Serge Normand is undeniably one of the leading hairstylists in the fashion industry today. Top fashion magazines, including Harper's Bazaar, W, Allure, L, and Vogue regularly book Serge Normand for cover sittings, fashion and beauty stories, and more. Serge began his career in Paris, and after much success, he moved to New York to pursue freelance work. He has worked with an extensive range of advertising clients, including Chanel, L'Oreal, Lancôme, Tiffany & Co., Gucci, Celine, and Yves Saint Laurent. In 2001, Serge published his first book, Femme Fetale, followed by his second book, Metamorphosis, in 2004. Serge currently co-owns and runs two salons with John Frieda, both of which are located in New York City. Serge has worked his magic for some of the world's most beautiful women, such as Julia Roberts, Sarah Jessica Parker, Sophia Vergara, who we worked with last year at this time together, Blake Lively, Julianne Moore, Katy Perry, Elizabeth Hurley, as well as supermodels Giselle, Iman, Chrissy Turlington, Linda Evangelista, Cindy Crawford, just to name a few. Serge can do anything with hair, from everyday looks to elegant and sophisticated styles, to the most avant-garde and glamorous. Serge, welcome in my chair. Hi, Queen. Thank you for All having right. me. <laughs> we finally got this going between the oh two of my us. God. Oh, we my God. We spent about so um, 25 minutes trying to get the computer, but I, we got it going. I was like, I, there was a moment there where I thought we were going to have to postpone <laughs> this interview, but...
1: I mean, it, for me, just that alone is a big achievement today. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. You can do hair, so you don't need to worry about, you know, technical <laughs> stuff. Um, you know, I was thinking today that this is such a fun interview for me because the very first time I was ever on a set in my life, it was probably around 2006, Um I was so excited and I went and I worked with uh for free, of course, just to get experience, uh, Brigitte Reese Anderson. And it was a job that you were doing for your salon or for your brand for a German client. And that was the first time I'd ever been anyway. I just remember you and her working your magic and being totally blown away. I had no idea what a set looked like, what you know, models actually looked like under the lights, any of it. And it was just so awesome. So here I am getting to interview you all those wow. years later. Well, it's so nice to talk to you. And I've
1: been listening to all your podcasts. And I, it's actually uh, quite interesting to hear everybody's stories. And And I think it's great that you're doing that because it really also gives a lot of uh, different perspectives, especially to people who are actually starting today or even people like me who, um, you know, listen to interviews, even like with Orlando the other day or Garen and there's still things here and there that, you know, I'm l- learning from them. And it's,
0: um, it's great. It's because really you've great. known them. for So So thank you. It's funny because you've, you know, these people because you've worked, you know, kind of in their orbit because you do the same thing, but mm-hmm. for so many years, but sometimes yeah. there's things you still don't know about them or.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, there's so many things that we all share, right? And I think also we are in a time right now with social media, and that you know we can see little bits and pieces here and there of more personal, you know, side of people, but that we didn't really use to to show that much, unless you you know you revealed a few parts here and there in a in an interview that
0: would come out in the magazine, right? But um, yeah, it's a different thing. So I, you know, my partner Jean Pierre, we've been together for 18 yes. years. So I feel uh, I in so. some way like I understand your psyche only because you're both French. So French, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I know everything about you, everything about you that I need to know because I know one person who's French. Um, but I have to say that my stereotype is that the age of social media and bare everything and reality TV and all of that, mm-hmm. I don't think that's easy for the French. Am I wrong? I don't know if it's easy for the French
1: in particular. I think it's not easy for people of... Uh, like me, (laughs) I guess, I don't know, my generation. And even though I'm saying that, and some people my age might think otherwise, but um, yeah, we were never, I mean, I never personally looked forward to be either in front of the camera or um, talking about myself. You know, I've always been in the the service industry, so.
0: Don't you think that the French are taught not to talk about yourself and to be somewhat guarded and or like um uh not expose everything you know yeah a little
1: more a little more reserved yeah i would say maybe it's the reserved side of things but i i think it's a little less now than it used to be but yeah we don't really talk about what we have or what we own it's a little more like you know uh Discretion on that on that level. I mean, you know, it's it's a little different, maybe in, maybe in the mentality on that level. But I don't know anymore. Listen, I've been living between France and, and and the US for so long that I feel like I'm a little bit half and half, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I don't really know anymore a hundred percent of uh, either side. In some ways, you know. So you're I'm, nowhere, Serge. You're just yeah, living I'm, I'm in, in between, mid Atlantic, <laughs> and I love it. I love it.
0: So you grew up kind of not in a super chic part of Paris that you would think of. You grew up more in the suburbs.
1: Mm, I grew up in the north suburb of Paris, yeah. Um, Which is like what? I don't know how how I could compare it with, I mean, I used to say maybe, I don't know, Queens or a certain part of Brooklyn. I mean, uh, even though I think there's some quite chic parts in Brooklyn. And, and it's not like where I grew up was not chic. It was very different than Paris. It's the suburb. And, you know, it was a very, um, you know, middle-class, uh, area where I grew up. And, um, yeah, I didn't go to Paris for, uh, I'm not sure. Like the first time I went to Paris, I was maybe 12, 13 years old with my parents. I mean, the first time in your life, I think probably. Wow. I mean, I, you know, I would, but you're always asking me, when was your first encounter with I I'm sure I went to the, I felt I was a kid and all those things, you know, but right. when I'm saying going to Paris, it's like going to Paris for the day or, but I remember when I was of age, my, there was nothing that I found more glamorous from, you know, where I grew up to just go with friends and take the subway and, and come out, you know, at the bottom of the Champs-Elysées and go up and down the Champs-Elysées, up and down and, and I thought it was amazing at the time in glamorous. And right now you, I mean, <laughs> that's the, the area that, you know, I wouldn't really do that. I mean, I'd, I'd be very happy to walk around there, but it's not, you know, something the French when avoid that area Paris, at too that. Right? <laughs> I mean, just because of, you know, it's it, when in the regular times it's crowded and it's touristy. And, um, but, you know, there's just so many other parts of Paris that, you know, um, that are amazing. And, you know, Paris is just the most, uh, one of the most amazing city that I think, you know, still. And so it was for me, my, my vision of glamour from where I grew up And this and I didn't hate where I grew up. I mean, I actually loved the fact that, um, you know, it was quite mixed at a time. Like, you know, it was just a very, uh, very interesting, um, area, not very, you know, I lived in a big, big, big building that was, you know, a rent-controlled kind of uh, place with my parents. And uh, my school was right across the street. And uh, so it wasn't, you know, it was easy. And there was nothing wrong with it. It was just not Paris itself. It was the suburb. So, right. you know, nothing wrong with the suburb. You know, I just enjoyed going there, but um, growing up there. But, um, yeah, I always had a love for Paris. And uh, and I was, uh, yeah, and I moved there when I was, um, I
0: think, 18 years old. Mm-hmm. So, Serge, you... You're you're French, but you're also of a mixed heritage. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. My
1: uh, the, on my father's side, um, I'm Vietnamese. Yeah, okay. Vietnamese side. So my great grandmother was uh, Vietnamese and married a Frenchman. They had kids, and then my grandmother who was half Vietnamese and half French. Had my father, who's a quarter and I'm an eighth I think an eighth so i mean you can't really you know i wish you could tell a little more when you you see me but um i did not get the most amazing hair that all my family had <laughs> you
0: know from from that but uh, yeah and um uh, yeah it's so. did you feel like you had uh vietnamese influences growing up or it was so oh d-
1: abso- oh absolutely Absolutely. Really In many ways, you know, my great grandmother, who didn't speak a word of uh, French, uh, was always wearing the traditional dress, and she had um, white hair, part in the middle, pulled back in a little bun. Um, and I just thought she was, I mean, a goddess. She was so chic, and um, and I was just very intrigued by her. And and my grandmother also was quite chic, and it was just like something very. Um, uh, it's all that little exotic side of things like the way they dressed and, uh, you know, uh, some jewelries that were, you know, Vietnamese here and there, like, you know, in terms of, uh, um, the way they were just mixing things were just like really interesting. And, you know, and then the food, I mean, it's like, you know, uh, it's the like best. My, my, the, my grandmother, the way she could, you know, pull out a meal in two minutes was just unbelievable with, uh, so I always compare like, you know, every Vietnamese restaurant that I could go to, um, I would compare it always, you know, by, by association with that. But uh, yeah, I, I loved, um, yeah,
0: I loved that heritage of mine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did you did you grow up identifying like I'm part Vietnamese?
1: Uh, yes, because it was very present in uh, my family. The thing is, you know, till I mean, I remember going to school, and I think maybe one day my grandmother came to pick me up with my mom, and then people realized that, you know my friends, some of the friends at the time, and it was a little bit, uh, odd for them. So I, I, I can't remember a hundred percent how they reacted, but I can't remember it com- being, they were
0: confused. They uh-huh. were confused, but I wasn't, but I was very, all, you were never com- You were always proud about your family. Oh my God. And where yes. You came from. Yes. Yeah. I was always, dream- I always dreamed of going
1: there. Um, I remember all the stories that my grandmother was telling my father, uh, you know, it was pretty dramatic for them. They left in uh, 59, I think, from there, and they left everything behind, you know. So, uh, and my father never went back. I think a few of my aunts and uh, uncles probably went back. I mean, the family right now is a little bit of, you know, um, spatch in so many places, so I'm not really in contact with a lot of people in my family, sadly, Uh, especially the fact that I also left, you know, a long time ago to live in New York. But... um,
0: Did you feel like you grew up in a homogenous culture in France that it's France. Like here we have so many different you know, they call it a melting pot but in France it's pretty mm-hmm. strong identity of who they are, at least when you were growing up.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you know, France don't forget I mean, there was, all, you know, um, a lot of different um you know, there was Vietnamese, there's Chinese, there's, you know, uh, okay. from Af- Africa, you know, uh, North Africa, I, and especially in the suburb, you know, I, when you talk about my melting pot, uh, uh, melting, I'm sorry, melting pot, It's um, it was very diverse in that way. Where, okay. And I loved it. You know, I had friends at school who were from so many different countries. And, you know, the only thing that as a kid, you know, I was not always going to play at their houses, you know, for whatever were the reasons at the time, but I mean, we grew up together, you know, and, and I just, uh, and I loved that. And I loved seeing the way they did their hair and the way they dressed. And I remember picking up France in the morning school, and then the mom would give me some pastries from, you know, that they made that were you know, from their country. I love all that. And, and I think France is very, um, has always been, I think very open to different cultures and, and, you know, I mean, without getting too political at all and things a lot of things you know should have been probably done different way differently in the last you know 30 or 40 years but um right to you know to help everybody to feel at home (laughs) but um yeah it's been very um I, i just love that yeah
0: so your mom actually helped you get your first job in a salon my mom did. How do you know that? Um, you know, I have to do my research when I'm interviewing. I know, but I don't even know. Yeah, my,
1: my mom worked with um, someone whose wife was a hairstylist, actually, at Jacques de Sanche, uh in Paris, and uh, she knew that I wanted to work for that company. I mean, there was a, a creative director called Bruno Pittini who I had admired. My hold I mean my whole life pretty much I, you know as soon as I was interested in hair I knew of him and I thought he was the most amazing haircutter and um, I love this philosophy of you know haircutting and all that and he was part of that company right so um, that person arranged um, a meeting with um, the head uh, of, of our salon and and I went there and <laughs> I wish I had a picture of the way I, I dressed I thought you know coming from where I was coming from, i oh I, I have a long to hair i mean you sh- you should have seen the look, yeah um and um and then I did my um uh, essay, as we call that at the time, and i was uh, hired, but I was not hired for the center of Paris where I really wanted to. I was hired um to work a little bit on the outskirts, you know in the area called nation which which was actually so great, and I did um two years there, yeah but was it? yeah, a- it's definitely from because of my mom.
0: Was it unusual for a man to want to be, not only for a man to want to be a hairdresser at the time, but also to be accepted by your family for it?
1: You know, I never had that issue. I have to be honest. I loved hair uh, from a very early age. I always did my mom's hair. I did my cousin's hair. Um, It wasn't one of my aunts who was really one of the first one also allowed me to cut her hair. So it's like, not, it was not a surprise, uh, for me, my parents. I mean, what's it thought was of doing, as like
0: a gay kind of gay profession?
1: I, I have to be honest at that time, it's not something that I ever, I mean, I was not really that familiar with that whole, um, in and, so, terms okay. of you know, hairdresser, so you gotta be gay or t- I never really I had no perspective on that at all and my father or my mother never ever mentioned anything on that they just you know wanted me to be happy and do uh, what I wanted I mean my father com- didn't completely understand why I w- understood why I wanted to do uh, to be a hairdresser but you know it, it was my calling um it was fine you know he yeah. was totally totally fine with it yeah
0: how do you think it compared, and I don't know if you can answer this, how do you think it compared to to be a gay teenager, if you're out or not, um, mm-hmm. in France versus America?
1: Hmm. I'm not sure that I can really completely compare because I would have had to have a little bit of both experiences. Uh, all I can tell you is my experience uh, as a young person with, with it. And I was... Um, I grew up in the suburb, as you you know, and it's not like I could see a lot of people were that I could identify with in that, in that term. So it's not something that, you know, even though my parents were pretty um, open with a lot of things, it's nothing that we talked about at home. My father was in the army for, you know, my father was a special force. Uh, you, if you don't go to the army, you, you'll be a man when you have done the army and and you know at the time don't forget the army was mandatory in france one year uh when you were turning 18 oh right you, you had to you had to do a whole year it's not anymore now it's uh it's a whole different thing but at the time it's did you? Did, so i did yep I, did. Oh. I didn't want to disappoint my father and um and i did i um yeah i took a year uh yeah a year off to, do, to, to go to the army and to do my, uh, to do my service to, you know, in, in that sense. And, um,
0: yeah. <laughs> when did you realize that there were gay people or that it was even a possibility?
1: Uh, late, late, uh, really when I moved to Paris and I mean, even the salon where I was working as an apprentice, because, you know, I became an apprentice at the salon where I used to get my haircuts uh, mm-hmm. when I was a kid. So, and it was a hair salon in, in the suburb in the town where I grew up. And so there, were, you know, it was a lot of, you know, actually the owner of the salon was straight and there was, uh, a, a lot of, uh, ladies who were, uh, hairstylists. And so I was not really, you know, um, that exposed in some ways, you know, and I was, um, I wasn't even sure about myself. You know, I mean, it's like, I didn't really know exactly on how to, To deal with it myself. So at the time, it's not like I tried to, um, to understand it more than what it was. And I was, you know, just when I moved to Paris, I think that's when it really kind of, um, started and thinking, huh, okay. I could eventually be who I want to be without having to worry about, um, pretending to be someone else.
0: Yeah. Do you think it's important that you have to kind of leave home to figure out who you are? I think
1: it depends uh, on the family you're with, you know, uh-huh. you, grew, you grew up in. I think, you know, uh, and again, we, my parents, you know, we never talked about it, um, but they never made me. If they, my father, you know, uh, not that long ago told me that he always knew. <laughs> I wish oh. He would have tell me, but he kind of always knew in some ways. But you know, it's it's that generation also who didn't really talk about things too much. And 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 who knows? Maybe he was afraid that he would be wrong uh, by by addressing it. I don't know. I just think it's you know I, I think it's a such a different time. And I think you know when we look at you know watch TV today, I mean. Uh, watching TV as a teenager, as a kid, there was barely anything that just you could
0: identify with. That, with any character, only things TV you divorced. wouldn't want to identify with. Actually, it was all negative.
1: Oh yes, maybe or um, yeah, or, or just different from what you could identify with. Yeah, as you say, but um,
0: yeah, yeah. It, so, it
1: took a while. It took a while for me.
0: Do you think that you had a, more of a desire to achieve and have? success because you were gay?
1: You know, me being gay was never um, the driving force to achieve things in some ways. I mean, I was just, I had passion with what I did, right? So it's like I had passion about hair. Regardless, I think of my sexuality, I would have tried to do whatever I could to to do it, right? To, right. to work in that field and to to do the best that I, that I could do. Um, it's just, I think for me, the achievements were more of, you know, getting to the place where I was just comfortable with myself as a person. And I did use the salon in a way as almost like an amazing platform for me. Like I felt like I was entering, you know, when you hear sometimes like, you know, singers or actors who say, you know, as soon as I get on the stage, I'm not shy anymore. I just can let go and see them off the stage and they're the shyest person. That's me. That's me with the salons at the time, right? So I felt like as soon as I arrived in salon, I could just be. I didn't have to be shy anymore. I was not insecure anymore. I was just feeling that I was just, you know, in in my place. You know. And so Is that
0: still the case for you?
1: It's still the case. Yeah, it's still the case. I still have that drive. I think to do, and I'm sure you know that for yourself also. To do what we do, because we work with people, we also judge always pretty much on the last thing that we've done, right? So every day you m- might meet a new person, whether it's in the studio, or the, you still have to prove that you can actually deliver the, 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 the job, the thing, right? Right. And making the person feel good when they leave your chair, regardless of what it is, whether it's in the salon or on a shoot, I still get uh, great satisfaction from that. And that never went away. And I always said to myself, um, and of course that's assuming that I could afford (laughs) to do that, but, um, the day that I wouldn't feel that anymore, I probably would have to stop.
0: Right. So I know, but I don't know if that many people know is that one of your closest friends is Laura Mercier. Yes. Mm -hmm. You met, how did you meet her? Was it in Paris
1: No, we met here. Well, the thing is, it's interesting
0: because, yeah, there was no way that
1: I could not meet her for two, I mean, a couple of different reasons. Uh, When I first moved here, someone who uh, opened their door um, to have me stay with them for a couple of months knew her, because she used to go and get flowers in the flower shop where the husband of the lady that I was, you know, the couple that I was staying with knew. And she said, Oh my God, I, like, we know that French woman. She's fabulous. I think she works in fashion. We don't know, but you should meet her. And name is Laura, you should meet her. And you and didn't know who I, she I, was. I, I had no idea. And then I. The salon because I moved when I moved from France to work here. I worked with um, with Bruno Pittini, right? Who had the salon on uh, Madison Avenue. It was fabulous, and he was fabulous. And as I moved here, he said, "Listen, I have you." Uh, um, if he um, uh, stereo uh, at the time, it was, I don't even know what it was called, you know, like when you had to play your CD and, and the radio on, and it was a big, big device. And he said, I gave it to my friend, Laura. She doesn't need it anymore. And I think you live across the street from her. Why don't you, here's her number. Why don't you call her and, um, and see you you ask me and she'll give it to you. So I did call her. I went to meet her and she had prepared the whole thing with a little card and I thought she was so sweet. And when I left and she said, no, I'll bring you back the car. She said, no, 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 keep it. I know you just moved in and you, you just use it for your groceries. And I was like, oh, my God, she's so sweet. She's, oh, my God, it's so adorable. And the person that I was actually um, at the time that I had rented the apartment from uh, knew her. And, um, and a couple of months later, she moved into a building on Park Avenue, South uh, in, you New know, York Gramercy park. And he said, you know, um, I'll pick you up. Let's have lunch. And then we'll go visit my friend, Laura, who moved into that new building. And we went to see her. I mean, like, so uh, from three Were different Around people. what time was three, this? So it's not, it's 88, 89. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Was she a big uh, deal already by that, at that time? She was working a lot. I mean, she was not the big deal that she became later on, but Laura came, from paris i think when they launched american ale here. okay so she was already um working quite a lot in france and uh and she moved here yeah i mean i if i moved here in 88 or 89 she moved maybe in 86 maybe like two or three years before me maybe um so you met her from two different people in
0: two different from times. Three different people
1: right. yes and, and when i saw her the last the last time i I said, you know, here's my number, give me your number, we'll we'll try to get together at some point. And I insisted, Lloyd's a very private person, and she didn't really see a lot of people like that. And I insisted, and I don't know why I insisted so much, because I just, I just had felt something, uh, there was something so beautiful about her, I mean, from the inside out, there was just something amazing. And, and uh, we hang out a little bit, and then one day I was just looking for a new apartment, and I went to visit her in her building. And she said, why don't you just call the, uh, the, the the super downstairs and see if they have anything in here. And so they showed me a couple of places and I didn't like anything. And they said, just for the pleasure of the eye, why don't you just go up and with me and I'll show you the penthouse. And so I saw the penthouse and it was just like, you know, it was a beautiful apartment. I mean, when I'm seeing the penthouse at the time, and, you know, all it had of the penthouse was a, a little skylight. And then I came back down to see her and I said, well, sadly, I didn't find anything that I would like here. Except, you know, they showed me the penthouse, but obviously I can't afford that. And she looked at me and she said, why don't we take it together? Oh my gosh. And, we, and then we moved in together and we lived together for almost 10 years.
0: Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I yeah. knew you guys were we close, We lived together for amazing. a long time.
1: Yeah. For a long time. Yeah. And she's um, an amazing person.
0: Did she help your career? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's undeniable. Um Listen, in some ways, you know, I was always told and not by her, but, um, that I was not really, I wouldn't really do well in fashion. I was not cool enough. I didn't have, and people didn't say that from those words, but that's what I kind of took from there. Like, you know, you'll be great in the salon and you'll do well with clientele, but you know, it, it's the studio world. You just have to be a little more. And so it took me a little while, even though I started in Paris already a little bit here and there, um, But yes, Laura helped me. I mean, listen, at the time, you know, it's not like we had that all the time. But in the apartment, she had at one point like we were doing uh, charades, I think. And and let me tell you, I had just moved in maybe a year, a year and a half before that. My English was okay, but not amazing. And so (laughs) charades with, uh, she had invited Orbe at the time, uh, Paul Cavaco, Stephen Mizell, um, Lauren Hutton was there. Like all those people that I, I had no idea where they were. Uh, to name a few. Orbe, to name a few. I didn't really know that. I was so shy. And so she was in that world already. She was working with Stephen a lot already. She was working with Stephen and, and Orbe. And then he was with Garen and, you know, and so she had that whole group and it was Orbe and Omar, uh, who later, later, you know, became my agent also. But, um, yeah, it was just all those years where I don't know everything. I mean, I don't know if it's because we were also younger; everything felt also quite accessible in some ways, and everybody was so sweet and and um, yeah. So when they
0: said to you that you weren't cool, that you wouldn't be cool enough, did you take that personally? Um,
1: listen, I grew up never thinking that I would fit in anywhere. Okay, so without getting into t- too many details of my. Teen days, I was a very depressed kid, mm. uh, more depressed teenager than I was a, a kid, and I never felt like I um, fit in anywhere. Really, I just felt always like a bit of an outsider. I mean, I know it's a classic story from a lot of people. You hear that from a lot of people, especially in, you know in our industry maybe, but it's not you know specific to me in particular. But I was depressed to the point of not wanting to be around. So. Um, yeah, that cool factor was never, um, you know, it's something that I actually didn't even understand what the word meant. And I didn't really know, what do you do to be cool? There's, there's a recipe. I mean, do you do something? Do you dress a certain way? Do you? And and <laughs> still to that day, could still, you know, uh, struggle to, to answer that. But uh, yeah, I was just, so the only thing is, is when I first started, I didn't care about, failing, at attempting to be um, doing studio work and, and, you know, fashion shoots and all that. I was, I would have. You were fearless. Not, yeah. Well, the thing is, I didn't care if I didn't make it. I would have probably cared more if I didn't try. I think I
0: would have beat myself up not trying. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah. Was it, was it also about the hair that you did not being cool? Or was it just you who you are as a person? No, I think, I think it was me. I think it was me and I remember,
1: and listen, I look at some pictures of even the times where I actually kind of was already working quite a bit. (laughs) I'm just looking at what I was wearing or the way I was wearing my hair and I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe that's the reason why they thought.
0: Thank God you're talented.
1: (laughs) It's like, you know, so that's why, you know, even, um, yeah. Uh, it's so, it becomes irrelevant at one point. It's just a whole cool factor. I just, um, yeah, even some people who I guess who are cool don't maybe know that they are cool. Maybe that's what makes them cool. But I, I at the time, it was a thing that I kept on hearing that, you know, I would be more commercial. I would do, um, and listen, I certainly was never the coolest of of the bunch. You know, I could name 10 people before me that I think are way you know more than me, and that's not putting myself down. It's just a fact. You know.
0: Well, maybe they care about that too more than you do. Maybe or maybe
1: they don't. It's also you know who you right. hang up with, and it's you know it's um,
0: yeah. I mean, do you have a day, without prying? But do you have any tips about when you do feel like you you're so low and you don't see a way out? How do you get yourself out of that?
1: I think it's really who you surround yourself with. And, um, and I guess it's, you know, if you feel that way, you know, that there's other people who might feel this way. So you're not, it, it's all the loneliness within that thing, right? It's something sometimes that you don't really know even to uh, how to address. Um, it's, it's hard also for someone to even help you to understand that. And I think at the end, it's just, uh, yeah, just being surrounded with the right people who can actually give you confidence regardless of who you are and how you are, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not good at giving advice in general at all because I think my experience is my experience and, you know, it doesn't mean that it can apply to someone else. But um, I'm lucky with the people that were on the way that I met some who helped me feel good about myself in some ways on some level. And if, you know, and with all the good sides of that I can have and the bad sides uh, and having that open dialogue with friends that really always um, kind of, you know, helped me and made me go further. Does it go away? No, not completely. But you learn how to deal with it. I mean, to that day, you know, there's some people who will say things once you while, And it's always sometimes in the moment where you feel probably a little vulnerable or a little sad or a little tired. And then you hear something that maybe someone might have said or something that they say even without thinking that it's not something that you might take it the right way, you know? Right. And, um, and you're thinking, Hmm. Okay. Yeah. still there. still there.
0: Yeah. Do you think all of those, cause I wonder about this with myself, do you think that all of those things that follow you as an adult, all those insecurities or little kind of toxic patterns or ways of thinking, do you think that that was created in childhood or, you know, formative years?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely I mean, in some level, I didn't feel cool at school. I I felt like an outsider. Um, I, you know, I was made fun of like uh, a lot of other kids, but not for, I mean, listen, yes, I was, uh, I had that experience as a kid that I think, yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't, I mean, just to give you an example, I was so painfully shy that even at the cafeteria, even if I needed to use the bathroom during the meal, I, I would be so um, embarrassed to stand up and then cross the whole cafeteria to go to the bathroom, just being afraid that people would make fun of me. And did they make fun of me? Sometimes it happened. Sometimes it didn't happen. I think a lot of it also was in the way I looked at it, you know, and right. um, and not being able to talk about it really or not knowing how to. It's a different time also with that, you know. So I'm Do you still think very You just shy. came out that
0: way. You came out shy.
1: I I think probably, I mean, my brother never experienced any of those things, you know, it was a whole different thing for him. So I think we are, we are on some level where, you know, we come that way. And then it's either emphasized or not, depending on the surroundings.
0: But somehow you still managed to put yourself in an industry where you're, like you said, we're always working with new people. Mm-hmm. Or a lot. If you're not working with the new person in your chair, it's somebody's publicist, you're meeting new people, you have a brand, you have to meet new people. We're working with celebrities who are very public people. And you've managed to put yourself into a career where being shy isn't necessarily like a strength. I know, but that's the paradox of it. Right. But, tell know, me about uh, that. Uh,
1: but, but but the thing is, you know, uh, it's just to go back to what we were saying earlier on, how many times have you watched or hear, listen to an interview of someone very known in terms of, you know, an amazing talent, an amazing singer, an amazing actor, or who will basically, they have panic attacks before even getting on stage. And you would never know once they get there, they just dance, they sing, they just perform, they do. and then in real life, they're, they're like painfully shy. So it's the paradox of it. So, I mean, I don't know if you can really completely explain it. Uh, when I'm behind the chair and honestly, regardless whether it's in the studio, uh, in someone's apartment or at the salon, I'm, it's my happiest place. Like when really? I'm just suddenly starting to touch someone's hair and, and talk to the person and know a little more about the person have that exchange. And it's always, you know, uh, also happening in the first few minutes when you just, um, meet someone new. Right and and it's that feeling and then suddenly for some reason and i can't explain it the whole shy insecure aspect that i can have um kind of goes away on some level you still want you know you can still be nervous you can still be it's not like suddenly i arrive and i start to do someone you know that i've never met before and and i think i'm she's gonna love me more than she loves anybody else no i never have that attitude but i have the attitude of i'm gonna do the best that I can. I'm going to give everything that I have and will be what it
0: will be. You know? Yeah. So do you ever get nervous? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like when you're nervous, where does your mind go? What would be the worst thing that would happen?
1: When I get nervous, um, it, it's, you know, when I was very, when I first started, I was working on a French TV show that you had to be, I was one of the hairstylists who, You know, it was. It's different than what we do now, right? Like, so now if we, if someone appears on a show, they usually have their team, right? Right. At the time, they had a little bit of that, but at the same time, there was someone on set that could touch you up, right? Mm -hmm. So I was that person for a year at that big show, right? And the famous, very famous, I don't know, and she was great anyway. And famous French actress who was already, you know, not working that much anymore. She was, you know probably my mom, and and I know, not probably, she was my mom and my grandmother's favorite actress. And she arrived and she needed a touch-up, right? And she had that very classic hairdo uh, that you had to back comb and then put back. It was just very classic. And I was supposed to touch her up. And I was so nervous that I basically was shaking so much that she ended up taking the comb out of my hand and she had to be on camera very soon. So it's not like she could, and even though I was a bit in shock when that happened, she did what she was supposed to do. She had to be in front of the camera. She couldn't just have one piece of hair that would just stand up, you know, without being controlled. So she, and she showed me how to do it. And then, and then she left. And I realized on that day, I was like, I don't ever want to get nervous to the point that I can't perform. I cannot, I have to disassociate the person that I think that I've known my whole life on on screen or on glossy paper. And then remember, it's a head of hair. Right. And it's the same thing that I've always done. And, you know, so I've never had myself to, I don't know, it's a self-control, I guess, that, um, of of thinking that, you know, nothing terrible can happen from that for me, you know, Uh and, and that I can handle it. I can handle it. And it's something that, I mean, I don't have a recipe for it, but it's just something that I, Worked on myself for years by saying I don't want to be nervous to the point that I can't do my job. Because if I choose that field to work in, then I'll never be able to make it. If I, if I'm so starstruck or, you know, and so that kind of went away very, very fast. But I can still get nervous in terms of, you know, there's so many elements. You know that. Yeah, there's so many elements when we work. You know, so many things that we don't always expect. And you think you have time to get someone ready, and then you do, someone is rushing you because you're losing the light, or you know, or even at the salons like, you realize, oh my god, I only have an hour with that person, and it's an hour, and still, you know, still finishing the haircut, and then I'm going to be backed up. So there's so many things that we have to learn along the way on how to work faster and and to deliver. I mean, it's I a think it's that experience too it's experience and it takes time. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's no
0: shortcut, at least for me, it was like the things that would have rattled Mm -hmm. me early on would be nothing now, but there's different things now that could probably get under my skin that you just kind of have to figure out in that moment. Yeah. What do you need to do to get the job done? I know exactly what you're thinking. You're like, if you're a makeup artist and you're nervous and you're shaky, You're done. You can't do anything. You know.
1: Yeah, and and then you know who gets bothered by that, right? So it's uh, the talent. People. Well, but but in general, someone you know, someone that you touch for the first time, the hair or the face, they know right away whether you have a a certain amount of confidence or not. It's not about the fact that you're talented. It's that confidence, and sometimes it's you know, listen, you, you can't be liked by everybody, and you cannot like everybody. So it's just a matter of whether you connect or not. And when you connect, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, you have to be able also to perform even when you don't connect.
0: I I like like to to go and pinch their ear really hard so that they know (laughs) that I'm in charge. You are mean. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Well, how much of yourself as the person who you are do you bring to your job? Like, do you do you only show a certain side of yourself because you're at work and have to be professional or do you, do you just bring all of who you are to the job?
1: Um, I don't bring, I mean, I, I bring myself there. So it's like, you know, I'm, I, I don't share, I'm, I'm pretty private person in general. So I don't mm-hmm. get share a lot unless we get into, you know, a conversation that it's easy and you know, that you can just, you know, open up a little more. I mean, it's different with everybody.
0: But um, you've worked with Sarah Jessica Parker now for let me just imagine twenty years. I don't know. Plus,
1: yeah, yeah. Over.
0: So when you show up to do her hair, it must be like seeing an old friend in some way.
1: Yeah, we do. We do. Yes, absolutely. We do. We talk about things in you know life and and yeah. But you know, you're talking about relationships where after that long, you're friends, right? Right. You're friends. You're almost part of the same family on some level. So it's a different thing than when, you know, you go on a shoot and, and, uh, or even with the client salon that you've never met before, you, there's so much that you can, you know, you, even if you woke up in not the best of moods, I've always said, you know, you leave that at the code check. I mean, I leave that, uh, when I change and, and I, and I try to get on, uh, it's almost like a stage and then I'll take my problems back with me when I go home. You know? I like that. So I'd that's like to check I, my,
0: my problems. Right well, that's here. what I,
1: that's, that was a use, you know, when I was in salons in, in Paris, that's what, you know, a, a, a boss that I was working with, you know, I probably probably was looking very depressed one day and said, you know, your problems, you leave them in the co-check. And, that. and it's, it's something that stayed with me and it doesn't mean that he didn't want me to share, but it's a day of work and you, and if you let all that interfere with, um things too much it can get in the way but I'm I don't really have rules that way I think you know sometimes you know you can share things with or not you know right um well
0: maybe I don't that's probably my problem but yeah I do <laughs> <laughs> Serge was there a particular photographer or actress who took your career to the next level
1: I think photographers I mean yes I mean listen um as you mentioned earlier, Laura uh, very early on, um, helped me a little bit. Right. And it's when I'm saying help me, uh, I remember a day she got a call to do uh, the couture, um, shoot for, uh, Italian Vogue in Paris. And it was, she had to be on the trip and we were working in the same studio. And I don't know who I was working with that day, but then she introduced me to Walter Chin then, and Walter Chin was going to be the photographer. And she said, you know, you should you should work with Serge And I'm going to, we're going to Paris next 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 week. And he'll be there. Why, why don't you use him? And he booked me. And I did the whole the whole couture um, series for Italian Vogue. You know, um, very early on with her. So I worked with Walter for for quite a while. And then with Walter, you know, from Walter, uh, one day uh, Laura was working with Steven Meisel quite a bit at the time. And Garen was working with him a lot and like he's done for years and years and years and i don't know he had to go somewhere and he couldn't do a day or two of shoot and he was Italian Vogue, and then there was two days of uh, dolce cabana and then she recommended me and i think um garen gave his okay and thought you know um, that would be great and so at the time by association i remember people you know uh, I remember a few photographers, like at the, the time, you know, it was all the studios where, you know, in one studio there was a, a great team and another studio, and so you kind of all mingled a little bit together, like during lunchtime or you would run into each other, you know, uh, uh, in the hallway. And I remember people saying, oh, my God, I saw that, you know, it's so great. And, and so by association, people thought that it was good. So it was good for me like I was. So it was that little time, and I think that helped me to just get – um get great jobs afterwards and being you know I have options where suddenly I was on hold, you know, to do a, a cover here or a cover there. And I know that, you know, the other people that were on hold was, you know, Orlando or Karen. And I was just like, oh my God, wow. And then that, I was afraid that it would be a little too fast. And listen, there's sudden shoots that I feel like I did very early on that I think I probably was a little too green to do. Really? Like yeah. Um and it was a lot, a lot at once for me. So, and as you say, experience, right. And so sometimes taking a little time just to
0: digest certain things. And, but, um, yeah. But you're not that talking too. about technique or ability. You're talking it's about not technique, maturity. It's
1: about, it's about maturity, how to deal with the team. And, you know, and then I ended up working, um, I ended up also meeting, meeting Kevin O'Quinn, who, uh, at the time Allure had just launched, And uh, he was starting to do quite a lot of makeover uh, shoots for Allure with Michael Thompson. And uh, he kept on saying, you should work with Michael. You guys are young and you should just go together. And so he asked me to do a lot of things like, you know, all the transformations that he did and things for the book. And Michael would shoot quite a lot of those. And then I connected with Michael and then I ended up um, working with Michael for over 20 years.
0: A few of my friends and I always talk about we have romanticized this time in fashion that was Michael Thompson. It was the turn mm-hmm. of the century around, let's say, 2098 to 2006. W Magazine, mm-hmm. all of that fashion to me was like, that to me was the golden era. I just loved what was, what was happening. I thought it was very creative. The industry mm-hmm. was just a certain size. Um, mm-hmm. You worked a lot it i've seen your name in the credits mm-hmm. a lot during that time with Michael Thompson did it feel special and and was it was it what i make it out to be listen it felt
1: special to me so i am not nostalgic of things in the past. And, you know, I want to look at today's world as it is with, with the good things and and it's bad things. And, um, but I I think also it has to do with the fact, you know, we were, we were working a lot. Yes. There was less magazines or, or at least the amount of magazines was magazines. And, you know, when you were doing uh, a shoot, it stayed on the stands on the, you know, uh, for a month. Right, so right. you did something for Vogue, and for months people had the chance to see it. Now, of course, you post it on Instagram, and I think it's great because it's instant that people can see it. But you know, then uh, another post arrives, and um, and it's gone. Right, so at least for months you could really enjoy and dissect all those magazines, and there was the beauty also of. Um, And and sometimes things came out when they came out differently than you thought that, you know, they were when you were looking at the Polaroids at the time that, you know, we were looking at on on that day. But I loved that little surprise factor. You know, I loved being a part of the shoot and I loved hearing the photographer saying, I have it. And then you had to trust that he had the picture. And then you know, you would see it coming out and it would be the cover. It would be different from maybe the peak that you thought it was going to be. But I love that whole kind of, um, um, you know, surprise. So, but yes, it was, it was a great time. I enjoyed every moment of it. I felt very lucky to be meeting all the people that I met. And listen, I mentioned a few photographers, but, you know, there's quite a few others also uh, in in the mix. And, you know, and when I run into People from that time, you know, Sante De at the time. Who I was you know, lucky also to work with. who Did great things for Allure and there's so many um, amazing, talented mm-hmm. photographers and, and, yeah, who had you know, uh, passion for what they did. Yeah, and I'm not saying that people don't have that today. They they do.
0: Uh, but, do you think you know, they do? You really think the, they do?
1: I think I think I see that in um, young photographers who. Yeah, I mean, the ones who I think probably will remain and, and evolve. And I think they have an appreciation for not only their peers, but also for people, you know, who worked in the past. And I don't know there's you know, listen, I can take a great picture with my iPhone, but I'm, I'm no photographer, you know. Right. Um, there's a whole thing with lighting. There's a whole thing with, uh, you know, that's what I loved with Michael, for instance, who Michael Thompson was uh, Irving Penn's assistant, right? So he had a certain way he had learned the craft with him and, you know, the whole beauty aspect of how Irving Penn used to take pictures. Right. So when I started with him, he was doing beauty. I mean, for hair and makeup, uh, uh photographer with as beauty it's heaven right right but then Michael did not restrict himself to just beauty he wanted to evolve also in fashion so it's like it's a whole sense of movement there's just like you know the way he made the girl move and you know tell them to look a certain place and it's all in the details and listen I l- listen to the podcast that you know you had with uh with Karen and, and Orlando and it's all this, it's all that, and it's all in the details and the love of. It's not you know with just one thing. It's not like you just want your hair to be perfect. You want to, you know, to work with the stylist and and making sure that you know your hair complements that. And you know everybody worked as a team, and so and it's just the all that composition that became, you know, that ends up being an image and the model. So you know like you know uh, the Linda and the Christie's and. Uh, and all. All those girls were I mean to me, yes, they are gorgeous, gorgeous girls, but they're artists also in the way they move in the way they study the pictures and 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 i and i I just have great appreciation for that
0: so when I think of you, I know that you can do anything with hair, but when I think of quintessential Sayer's hair, I think of volume, right, like you do <laughs> volume in a way that's like it it's incredible. How do you do something I, I don't like know that? how that happens? <laughs> How do you do a hair, hair like that, which obviously has to be built, maybe from, obviously, extensions or wigs or whatever, and then get on set and realize maybe it's not right? Or maybe the stylist says it's the wrong direction. That's
1: Listen, I've never been um, – I, I don't mind proposing – I mean, the thing is, I think as a hairstylist, you propose something. Like if someone shows you a look that you have to uh, to duplicate and it's exactly what they want, then you try to achieve that as close as to the idea that they, they give you. Uh, but you always have to be ready for the unexpected. Meaning you could work with a photographer who might have the vision of that girl that he wants to see, right? So as you say, volume, it could be something that can take a little while just to build up and the makeup. And then suddenly you realize on set, it's not really the story that you want to tell with that whole spread, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to start from scratch. You can be, and listen, is there times where I was sad to destroy something that I just did that I felt like was great? Sure. But you have to be open to that because it's not just you, it's the whole team. And regardless whether the result at the end would have been better if you had kept what you did uh, before, but it's that fine balance of... Being okay by being told, listen, it looks great, but that's not what we want.
0: (laughs) How, if (laughs) you think you're right, if you think you're right about it, how hard will you fight for for your vision? It really depends on you,
1: who you're working with. Because the thing is, if someone at the time, especially if a photographer didn't like what he saw, like that's not the the picture wouldn't be good. So who cares if it's the most amazing hair you've ever done, but then the picture doesn't come out great. You know, right. But listen, do I like to have someone when someone looks me and they put hats on every picture? Uh, no, but you know, the hat could also like, if you do just the perfect um, piece of hair that comes out of the hat, it's a beautiful image. I love images, you know, as much as I love hair. Right. So for me, it's a composition of a whole image that I love. So it doesn't have to be, um, just hair. And I think once in a while you will get the perfect shoot where it's all about your hair, but it doesn't happen often. And right. Okay. And it doesn't
0: have to happen every time.
1: And it doesn't have to happen every time because that's not a, you know, you know it's not for me, it's not a hair show. It's not a hair campaign, even though.
0: <laughs> oh, I want to ask <laughs> you about that. How do you do big hair or let's say um, something, you know, very eye-catching or not wearable to the woman and not make it look like a hair show in Cincinnati. Is there a, you know what I'm saying? Like is, how do you Mm. pull that off without it looking amateur or art project? I
1: think I, I mean, you you mean
0: in the way uh, do we translate to the street, you mean? Or? I just mean in a way that it doesn't look cheesy and or amateur. Like, there's a fine line between doing stacked wigs and making it super big and beautiful. Right. And then it looking like, oh, this looks like someone did it for their, you know, um, thesis in beauty school. But I think It can go so wrong.
1: It can go so wrong, but sometimes also mistakes are good. You know, and I don't have a particular, like, you know, when someone says, you know, I want to make it big, but I'm afraid it's going to look tacky. It doesn't matter. Just go there.
0: Do you, you don't look at hair shows and go
1: and I, I cringe. Do, but, and you're, no, I don't. No, I don't. Because I'm going to tell you why. I feel like anybody who wants to express themselves by being creative and like you might not relate to something that you might see on the stage that they've they have created. But that person who did that put his whole heart and soul in it. Uh huh. And I and I have so much respect for that. So I might not like it, I might not relate to it, but I can still appreciate how the person went there. And sometimes, yes, it could be surprising, um, and it's not my taste. But also, like you know, there's all that whole question also: good taste and bad taste. What 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 makes me more the person who has good taste as opposed as bad taste? It's all you know. How do you define that? Like who? What might you say? I know better. I have, I have the right taste. No, I don't. I don't. So I'll do the best thing that I, you know, I'll do what I think I can relate to what I think is appealing to my eye. And I think the other person will do the same thing. And it might be comp- two completely different, uh, look. And I think it's okay. And I love that. That's what I love about the difference. Um, the individuality in, in, in the artistry. An
0: editor would chase them off of
1: set, but, but that's okay. It doesn't mean that she's right. But maybe, but maybe she is <laughs> that, but do you know what I'm saying? And, yeah. then, and then I'm not trying to be um, um, kind of, yeah. I'm ju- I'm just saying that, you know, I, I feel like there's just so much room for creativity. And I think right now, like, you know, listen, we've done so much, right? Like when I first started um, and it was the nineties, the nineties were, uh, and I think maybe Orlando might've said that the other day, like, you know, it was basically we, uh, we were revisiting a lot of the looks of the century that we had just passed. Right. So Mm -hmm. it was the twenties, it was the thirties and the forties and the fifties and sixties. I grew up in the sixties. So I always had, um, something about the fifties that always, uh, was appealing to me and still to that day. So when I do big hair, when, if you call that big hair, um, it's that kind of 60s vibe that I've always liked. And, you know, we can say, do a modern version of a, a 60s. Uh, there's so much modern that you can add on the 60s look. It just depends on how it's done. And if it's not modern, but it's well done, it's okay. I, I still love it, right? So it's, um, it, it's you know, uh, you just have to uh, to express yourself as much as you can. And then, yeah.
0: Do so you don't cringe and, at social media, you don't go online and go, Oh, I can't believe this is what people are into right now.
1: I, I mean, if I say no, I don't completely, I mean, I would be lying, but I, you know, sometimes when you have a strong reaction with something, there's something there. Like I've seen things in the streets Then, like, Oh my God, that hair, why, why would you do that? And then the fact that it, you know, I, I had that reaction, it means there's something about it that maybe somewhere I can find interesting, even if it's completely the opposite of what I would do. Right. And and then maybe I'll just end up on the set, you know, a couple of months later, or maybe a year later, and I will do something. I'm like that reminds me of something, and I can't I can't figure out where. And then I would remember it's that person that I saw in the street that I had that strong reaction. With Daehyeon, and then I recreated a version of that. So what I think is not cool today might be in a year from now.
0: I was know. like that with the biggie small single came out. Big Papa, I was like, oh, I don't like him. Then he became my favorite MC. So I kind of understand what you're <laughs> saying when you say that. Yeah. Um, you came also came out of a time when um, a lot of. Really talented makeup artists and hairdressers went on to become multi-millionaires with huge brands and uh, legacies. Laura Mercier comes to mind, but Mm -hmm. there was Mm -hmm. Francois Nars and all of these people. Around the late 90s, it seemed like the Estee Lauders and the L'Oreal's were buying up makeup artist brands right and left. Did you feel that you you had to get in on that or ever feel like... Why didn't that happen for me at that time? Mm,
1: no. Um, I've always wanted to do, I, I'm not going to say that I always wanted to do my brand. I knew that I wanted to do something. I didn't know what it was. Right? Mm-hmm. And I lived with Laura when she created that brand, right? Um, and there was Kevin and there was you know, Stefan Marais. And there was just like, you know, there's so many people who, who I mean, at the time, and Francois, um, I'll need to name a few, of course, but leaving it with Laura, the amount of work that she put in, I mean, I remember Laura leaving sometimes like, you know, on, on a 6 a.m. flight and to go to some, you know, wherever in the U.S. and then spending three days and then she would do personal appearance for two or three days and she would have to travel from there through, I mean, months at a time, the amount of work that she put in and the amount of passion. and 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 I think, you know, I saw it that first time with her because I lived with her, but I know that everybody else who has done it has worked really hard. So, but now she has a castle. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) But, but she did, I mean, listen, it's, um, she's worked really hard. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, the brand is great. And she's, a woman of integrity and she has passion for what she does. When she talks about makeup, you just want to listen to her for hours. It's the same thing with Francois. It was the same thing with Kevin. It was that, you know, there's just so, so it's all, I mean, I don't know what we deserve. I mean, that word deserving is always scaring to me, but um, it just didn't happen. You know, like they made, yeah, they made a lot of money and that, but not for not working, you know, they created a good, product and surrounded themselves with the right people i really think in success it's really also that you know you have to be really well surrounded and uh, the right partners and, and all that and listen sometimes things happen early and sometimes things happen later you know some people get married early and some people get married later and divorced early. early or you can <laughs> so there's no rules you know right, so right. yes it's from that time where you know when you talk about those makeup artists or hairstylists you know from that time they all had an amazing talent. You know, uh, Bobby Brown, who also I worked you know with at the very early on, she had passion also for what she was doing. It's like, you know, there's, I don't think you can really go that far and, and be that successful if you are not willing to work hard. And listen, and and again, surround yourself with the right people. So, I, you know. Uh,
0: so now so you're doing a brand yourself later mm-hmm. in your. I mean, it's been around now for a while, but you you chose to start it a little later on. I
1: did because I was under contract before that for a couple of years, and I wasn't really sure what I really mm-hmm. wanted to do. I wasn't sure that it was. A normal evolution, you know, for me to have the products, I knew what it involved. And I knew also that no one ever came to knock at my door and say, hey, I want to invest on you. Right. So I, ne- I never had that. So when I made it happen, it had to be with my own money. And it still is my own money and my own uh, investor. I have great partners, even though, you know, right now, yes, we are in the mix of doing things and it will work. It won't work. It's like, I'm I'm okay with it. I mean, would I wish that my products were, you know, all over the world and I could do ads every two seconds and add the money just to run them in different, you know, uh, sites and magazines and a lot for sure. But I'm actually, you know, I always felt for me, things always took longer to to do things. It took longer for me to be successful, uh, even in the fashion industry. It took me quite a while. And whatever that success means or is, or even if it's called success, I I don't know. But um, it took me always longer. So I think there's a time for everything. And it doesn't mean... Because I created that brand, that it has to be what you know what it is for the, you know everybody else. And right. um, do I want it to be more successful? Absolutely. Do I want to do more? Do I love the whole um, business side of things, which I find sometimes very tricky because I didn't go to school for it, and I had to learn you know uh, uh, you know on a daily basis with numbers. I'm not great with numbers, and now I'm, I'm better. So it's you know it, it's um, I'm still learning
0: a great deal. So have you you defined success for yourself?
1: um, Yeah, I think that for me, uh, and listen, this year has been so many things, you know, that happened to all of us, right? To to our whole world. Uh, And it's a matter of knowing, you know, like for me, like if everything had to stop work-wise tomorrow, I can look back and say that I'm happy with what I did, you know? There's things that there was a time, you know, when we talked about the cool factor. Yes, there were, there were probably teams uh, that I wish I could have worked with, and that I would at the time felt like, oh my god, why don't they like me? And why don't? but at the same time, I'm exactly working, and I'm exactly surrounded by the people that I really love. I mean, I'm, you know, um, I met Julia Roberts very early on, and you know, at the time where, you know, you kind of, you know, with uh, the magazine was, you know, you were doing a lot of fashion and you were doing, I did a little bit both. I, you know, I met Julia, you know, almost 30 years ago. And then it was Sarah. It's like, I always did a, a little, and, and it, those people, are my. I mean, I don't want to sound, um, I can't, you know, going to say that, you know, he's his friend now, but it's, it's the people that you surround yourself with. And that's for me, what defines success. So my success, whether you look at it as a career That's one thing I would look at the success of who my friends are today. And I think that's my, my biggest achievement Mm. is the people that I have around me that I love and who love me. That's for me success.
0: Yeah. And a lot of people can't say that. I mean,
1: I, I don't know. And I would n- never judge that. And I think it's, you know, I've been I'll lucky. judge it for you. <laughs> I've been lucky to, I've been lucky to to be put on the same path as some amazing, incredible people. Um, and I'm just really grateful. So I feel successful in that sense. Now, um, you just have to, you know, terms of work, you know, we, we are right now, you know, um, have to figure out what the next thing is, and that's going to be a little tricky for all of us, but I think it's exciting at the same time.
0: Yeah. So you've always, you brought up about doing Julia Roberts and Sarah Mm -hmm. Jessica Parker. Uh, You started in fashion, then you started doing some more celebrity. What is the difference in terms of hair, doing editorials and shoots and working with celebrities?
1: So I never saw any difference. And for me, and I remember... um, that time, vividly, I mean, when I met Julia, it was on a, a Vanity Fair cover shoot with Herbert um, in Louisiana where she was filming a Pelican Brief. And it was with Francois Nars and Marina Schiano at the time, who I was working with quite a bit, um, who was one of the f- fashion directors at Vanity Fair. Uh, who herself, you know, used to be a and she was fabulous and she loved working with Herb and, and Herb, you know, loved Julia. They were friends and it was just a magical shoot. So it's like, you know, for me, it's images, it's people, it's like, I never separate. I mean, I loved all the different aspects of every single day. That's what I love about. The but even for a red carpet. We're in. Yeah, I never, the red carpet at the time was not as big as it is today,
0: or it was the last couple of years. So your approach to hair for the red carpet is the same as as if you're on set? No. You just have to really look at, the
1: red carpet is very tricky, in the sense that, you know, you have to remember, like, for instance, the Oscars, right? You get someone ready, and as you know that very well yourself, because you've been in those situations, um, the red carpet is in the middle of the afternoon with a light that sometimes is, you know, uh, it's most of the time in LA, which you know, which I love, but it's also very hot sometimes. Or it could be um, for hours, you know, when they leave the room or the, the house yeah, where you get in traffic. ready. It could be hours before they're photographed, right? So you have to remember on how to figure out a look that will last. And it has to last through the evening, and so you can't approach it the same way that you, when you're on the set. On the set, you can touch it up every two seconds. You you don't have that opportunity when you do red carpet. So it, it's that aspect that sometimes can be, and the and the natural elements. You know, it suddenly start raining. It could be very windy, and you don't know how windy it is till you see the person that you've done the hair of. Or makeup, or uh, getting on the red carpet, and you suddenly see like poof, a big blast of wind. So
0: you, but can't also you don't want to make it so bulletproof that, that it looks you fake don't. and you don't cheesy, right?
1: No, you don't. So it, it's um, it's you know, there's not for me a real formula with that, but you just have to really um, make sure that if there's something that happens, that he can still be okay.
0: And then, so when you're getting these big day rates and going on advertising jobs and working with these celebrities and great people. Why would you want to go in and cut women's hair in a salon?
1: I would say at why this not?
0: point in your life,
1: it's I'm still doing the same thing that I did when I first started.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I, and again, it's, you know, the feeling of, listen to me. Um, whether it might, someone might think that's a cheesy thing to say. It's the, the most important person for me is the person that's sitting in my chair at that moment. So regardless of who that is, but you could make the person sitting in your chair a celebrity. Maybe, but I mean, she's a celebrity for me at the moment. It's like, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just the most important person. Like I love the feeling of that. I love having a client in the salon that will come and whatever, you know, whatever is the reason why she's there, whether she's seen, someone that I've done on the red carpet or in the magazine or some, a friend told her to come see me. It doesn't matter. Um, I'm going to give 150% and I'm just going to try to do everything that I can. So when she leaves that the chair, she feels like she had a great experience, a great exchange. And then she feels good about what I did.
0: What happens if Julia Roberts says, I need you in Malibu tomorrow. Do you, do you reschedule all your clients?
1: Um, it's not as you know. It's very very rare that you know Julia is not that person who's going to say show up tomorrow. I need you tomorrow. It's not right. Things are as you know are a little more planned than that. Like this very rare occasion where suddenly you have to do up everything. But you know, I've been pretty, you know, the, the, I don't really book my clients like three months in advance. You I don't. don't really have a, I don't really. I don't have a big wedding because what I don't like to do is to book someone three months in advance and I've to cancel their appointment. So what I, I'd rather, um, you know, I have someone who's taking care of my bookings, and basically she takes the list. And let's say I'm going to do someone tomorrow. They want to come back in two months, so there's gonna they're gonna be on the list of the people who need to come back on that month. So when I give days to the salon, uh, to you know the person who books my my clients, then she will start calling them and say, "It might be in that day. Would you want to come in that day?" And so we try to figure things out, and it's been pretty... I mean, listen, it's almost 18 years now that I've uh, been working with John and and having the salons with him. And I've never really had too many issues that way. Now, for sure, if you're a client who needs to see me uh, every four and a half weeks or five weeks sharp, it might be a little tricky. I mean, right. I work once in a while, but it
0: might it's not going to be uh, systematic. So if you want to see Serge- that you're flying standby, okay? And we will call your name when you're up on the queue.
1: No, but I think we're trying to do it in the most respectful way and just so it's easy for them. So, you know, whether it is or not, I don't know. I try to do the best I can there.
0: Yeah. Um, your new salon, it's not that new, actually. I just found out. But um, it seems like it just opened in my mind. Is beautiful, the Thank townhouse you. in Chelsea. I thought it's like... Thank you such a great place that you would want to go into work and also go to get your hair done.
1: Thank you. I have a great team and we have the one up town also, and the team is amazing
0: in both places. So I'm lucky there. Do you have a personal life? I do. Mm -hmm. Do you give enough time to it with all the work that you do? Well, this year I've had no choice. Right.
1: (laughs) So um, it's been, there's been times, no, there's been times where, I was always on the run and I think I probably um, yeah wasted some opportunities here and there in my private life and messed up some relationships here and there, like in terms of when, you know, not friendships, but, you know, uh, romantic relationships. And, and so, yeah, there was a time, I mean, I, I don't have regrets in some ways. Um, I mean, you chose your career. You I didn't chose, but the thing is, it's like, you know, sometimes when you're studying let's say to see someone, then you have to leave, you know, for two weeks in Paris, so you have to leave. Um, it's sometimes hard to pick up, you know, where you left and then, then you come back and then you have to leave again. So there was a time like that where it might have been a little tricky on there, but I always, you know, made sure, you know, of Christmas I always saw my family and then August, you know, I st- still remained very French that way. I need to have my months of August, you know, even at the time where, Taking a month off was, you know, sounded for people here kind of outrageous, but I always had that month off. Um, Mm -hmm. So I forced myself to do all those things, you know, there. But could I have um, worked a little less at times to be able to, uh, yeah, but listen, I've never uh, missed big events with my friends. Really? I've never missed a wedding. I've never missed, um, um, I mean, the birth of a a child, maybe, but like, you know, this being able to see my friend, like the first months after they had a child, I always made the trip, um, big, meaningful birthdays, um, for my friends. I've always made sure because, you know, the thing is I always looked at things. I might not remember the job that I missed on that day, but I really, I will remember that I missed that event and that I never wanted to, uh, um, to have that happening to me. So as much as I could, as much as I could, and maybe some, (laughs) you might ask my friends, they might have a different take on that, but, but I think I did the best that I could with that. And I think I am pretty happy about that.
0: It's really hard. I've definitely missed weddings and big events in people's lives. And I think the being a freelance artist, people don't understand is that like, we don't have health insurance. We pay for it. We don't have Mm -hmm. a regular thing and you have to take, the job when it comes. So no,
1: well, it there,
0: you don't, sometimes you make a mistake and you should have chosen the wedding and some, yeah, but, but you it, don't that's know.
1: Also, no, we don't have a, you know, it's, we freelance and all, you know, and of course, you know, uh, for many, many years, I always thought that, you know, uh, I was always feeling lucky when another year passed and I was still working. I'm like, okay, but for how long, you know, one day people are going to realize that maybe I'm not that good. And, and they mm-hmm. moved on to someone else, you know? So there's always that, and you, but the fear doesn't help. So that's something that I, you know, I'm trying to, uh,
0: to not overthink. Um, if you were able to go back in time and meet yourself somewhere, where would it be and what would you say? I think it's
1: probably when I was a teenager and as I told you earlier, I was really not um, happy. And probably telling to myself, um, <sighs> sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. Sorry about that. Um, don't be. Um, don't worry, life is worth living. That's what I would say.
0: I agree. Um on that note, do you have time mm, for a game? Sorry. Don't be. I
1: Yes. Listen, I'm not great at games, I'm kidding you. But, I um, had a terrible
0: sure. um I don't know what you call it, like, you know, childhood in some ways. My family was amazing and other things, but I was depressed and slept a lot and hated things about myself and definitely life got better afterwards. So um hearing you say something like that also becomes very you know personal because it reminds you of yourself and that's the thing is like you know every time that you talked about you being there you can't help but think about your own situation yeah. and um that's why it's important to talk about these things because they are universal and i think that Absolutely. everybody can relate so um i think it's amazing that you're able to to articulate that um you don't have to be good at games because everyone's a winner <coughs> at the end of it Okay. Um it was trying to be kind of French with this, with um you know, okay. because oui. I'm with Jean-Pierre and don't speak one word of French after 18 years, but we're not gonna get into that. Um okay, I wanna ask gay icon in France, Amanda Lear or Dalida? Oh Dalida. Mm-hmm. Um Saint Tropez or Ildoray? I will say Saint-Tropez still.
1: Ooh. The the thing is, it's not, it's not quite fair because both places are quite different and are as gorgeous for different reasons. Right. So I love both places. The only reason why I'm saying Saint-Tropez is because it was one of the first place where I went uh, with friends on vacation and I felt like it was just the most fabulous place. and, And by association with, you Know the 60s and Bardo and, and all those right. things. I just thought it was just so great, but you know, it's changed. But, um, yeah, so that would be my
0: answer. Okay, <laughs> we're sticking with it for breakfast croissant or baguette? Uh, croissant Macron or Sarkozy? <laughs> can't answer that. No, oh, yeah, it's got it's I can't answer. too many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 okay. Johnny Holiday or Charles Asneveu? Oh
1: my God. You can't do that to me. It's a, I love both. I mean, you know, I was friends with, uh, I mean, I'm still friends with his son, um, uh, Johnny's son. And, and Asneveu, I mean, they're both so amazing. And I had the, the, I was lucky enough to meet both. And, um, oh my God. Can I say both of them? They are just so different. It's, it, they're just so amazing in some ways and I mean the, their careers I mean beyond so Aznavour I mean I cry very easily when I hear all these songs and it's just like so sounds like you want to so say so much Aznavour no, I, lo- I, you know. I love Aznavour yeah. I love Aznavour I love the you know but I love geniality too in some ways I mean it's you
0: know okay this is easier Vuitton or Goyar? um <laughs> That's so
1: funny. Um, I'll say Viton. Oh, okay. I know. I know. I have a lot of Goya saying it would be the chic thing to say, but I love Viton.
0: That's okay. It's a little cheaper. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Paris in the 80s or New York in the 90s? Oh, my God. I lived both and I loved both. Um, You can't choose both this time. I will.
1: I know. But um, uh, so. I will say New York in the 90s for one reason. Um, it's because I became myself in that time, like where I felt like I nothing could stop me. Mm. So I will say that. But the 80s in Paris, I'm telling you, were beyond. Oh, I bet. So, if the, if and the I was, walls you could know, talk. I was young and I just, uh, you know, uh, I loved everything in the palace. Uh, there were just so many things and I was a kid. But, so, you know, it's not a fair question, but I will say just the 90s New York, just because of how I felt about my life at that time.
0: Were you into Klaus Nomi?
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because I actually heard um, uh, one of these things not that long ago. I'm sure like a lot of people would say who, um, but yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Incredible voice though, actually. Yeah. Um, unbelievable. Fourth of July or Bastille? Oh, Bastille. Who is your favorite '90s supermodel?
1: Oh, that I can't answer. If you could be
0: reborn in the body and face of one '90s supermodel, who would it be? I would
1: take a little bit of all of them mixed Mm -hmm. into one, and that would be me. (laughs)
0: Oh, I mean, wig—that's all we need.
1: That's uh, no, no, no. no, You don't believe me? You do not need that. Me in a wig? No, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Please take that image out of your mind right now.
0: <laughs> Kinky. Um, French, French Vogue or American Vogue? Um, I it, it depends on on the times.
1: I mean, I've always loved French Vogue, so uh, I'm going to say French Vogue for the fact that I grew up with it. Uh, even though I grew up more with French L that French Vogue, my mom looked, was you know was buying French L more. But French Vogue made me dream. I just have to remember of what drove me to want to do what I do, and I mm-hmm. think French Vogue was uh, was that. Yeah. But I love I love American Vogue, so be
0: careful. To Don't watch worry, you they're me still stay. gonna call you. <laughs> it's all good. I'll tell Anna it was I forced you to, to choose. She and I are like this. Um, okay, Catherine Deneuve in a Cobra stink like Belle de Jour, or Catherine Deneuve in a high chignon. Belle du Jour all the way okay Leah Sedu or Leah Rimini
1: um
0: but do you have a thing for Leah Rimini
1: no but I mean I do love Leah Sedu. I have to say yeah. she's, I'll say Lea Sedu. yeah um, I don't know her that well but I, she's, she's amazing
0: okay Françoise Hardy or François Nars <laughs> Why are you doing that? Um,
1: Francois, Francois Nars, of course.
0: Of course, yeah. <laughs> Charlotte, Charlotte Gainsbourg or Charlotte Tilbury? <laughs> you crazy. I cannot beat the question. Um, I, so
1: talking about, so I'm going to say Charlotte Gainsbourg. Uh, I love Charlotte Tilbury. I, I, she's, you know, be, uh, unbelievable. Like the personality, have you met her before? Yeah, um, uh, you met Charlotte. She's she's no, fabulous.
0: I mean, I wouldn't and count it. I've, I've
1: never. Her. I mean, worked on the on uh, you know a beach somewhere with some a makeup artist who actually can still wear our heels and look amazing and make her job look effortless. And that was you know Charlotte. But Charlotte Gainsbourg for me, when we talked about you know cool, I yeah. think if that word had to be created for someone. I think she would be the one. Yeah, you know, she's and you love the, bangs, right? I love Banks, but I just love everything that she represents. I love how she acts, I love how she sings, I love how she talks. I love everything about her.
0: How about Jane Birkin or Ellen Barkin?
1: Oh, Ellen Barkin. And I love Jane Birkin, but you know, Ellen Barkin is a friend. So I, yeah, I love Ellen Barkin.
0: Lou Doyon or Lou mm-hmm. Dobbs?
1: Okay, I'm sorry, I might who Lou Dobbs. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, the, no, but I have no, I just tell, Jay, I have to explain. Oh, he's
0: the asshole on Fox News. That's all you need to know. Oh, I'm sorry. So that's yeah. okay. He's I, just I, like, I a, not repeat what you just said. I don't know, but um, yeah. Okay. Carla Bruni or Frank Bruni? Carla Bruni. And Serge
1: Gainsbourg or Serge Normand? <laughs> Serge Gainsbourg, of course. I wouldn't, I mean, how narcissistic uh, would it be for me to pick myself? Oh, i love Serge it's no search against boar all the way
0: yeah okay amazing maybe amazing. next time we do this you'll learn to choose yourself hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well Serge. Yeah, yeah. i thank you so much i'm so glad you're like the busiest guy that i got the time to get you on the podcast and um I've only worked with you a couple of times where I was actually the makeup artist, but it's always, you're like such a gentleman, so gracious, so kind and easy to be around. And, um, I just hope that we get to work together more and also that we can see I each other. So too.
1: I hope so too. And thank you for, uh, having me. And, uh, and again, I, I, I love listening to uh, all the podcasts that you do. I think it's a, it's a gr- it's a great, um, thing just, to know, the stories of a lot of different people and, and, It's great. So thank you for having me. And yeah, and I hope I see you very soon too.
0: Okay. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye.